Liberty versus Legalism. That's what Dr. J. Vernon McGee is talking about today on Through the Bible. I'm your host, Steve Schwetz, and I'm so excited for you to hop aboard the Bible bus as we set off for Galatians chapter 5. And while you find your seat and open your copy of God's Word, here's a couple of letters from listeners of our Tagalog studies in the Philippines. First is a text from a pastor who writes, I want to ask for your notes and outlines. I will use them for the Bible studies in my church. I'm struggling because I have no formal schooling in ministry or the Bible, but I want to be used by God and have found your programs very helpful. We don't have a church building yet, so we meet in a member's home. We are small but growing. Please pray for us that we would be a church that lives by the Word of God. That is such an encouraging request. Let's pray that for our churches, too. Next, we've got a letter from a new listener. I am blessed by your program. This is the first time that I have heard it. I plan to listen every day before I start my work on the farm. I also want to share it with my family. Thank you for the beautiful words and ideas you have shared. I will continue to think about them as I work. Lastly, we've got a text from a listener named Adrian. I have repented from the wrong things that I have done, and I want to recommit to the Lord, Adrian says. I'm thankful for your Tagalog programs that will guide me in this process. Please pray that I might find a church, too, one that teaches the Bible as you do. Well, our world prayer team is traveling on our knees every day, praying for listeners like these who study God's Word with us in Tagalog and more than 200 languages around the world. So why don't you join us for that journey by going to ttb.org forward slash pray. And let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, thank you that through your grace and your grace alone, you've saved us. Thank you that your word sharpens our minds and convicts our hearts and shows us the ways that we can follow you better, Lord. Lord, may we be people who live by your word and are controlled by God's spirit day by day and moment by moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now open to Galatians 5 as we go through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, today we come back here to this very important fifth chapter at verse 5. And I remind you again, we're in the section of sanctification by the Spirit. We're in the very wonderful section where we are told now how we are to live as believers. And he gives us in this section the modus operandi. But first of all, he shows that saved by faith and living by law perpetuates falling from grace. Now, will you notice as we move down into this chapter, he continues this thought. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Now, as we're in this section here, the hope of faith actually that he mentions here is the only prophetic reference in the entire epistle. That's quite remarkable, because in all of Paul's epistles, he has something to say about the rapture of the church, or something to say about coming to the earth to establish his kingdom. But all he says here is the hope of righteousness by faith. And that is one of the reasons I'm confident that Martin Luther and the Reformers spent so little time on prophecy. After all, they did not live in days as we're living in today. They had a different concern. And to them, the big issue was the matter of salvation. 
because salvation had been clouded under a great deal of ritual and a great deal of works of the flesh. And the gospel actually was being fogged out. And when Martin Luther came to the epistle to the Galatians and discovered what the gospel was, why, this man rose from his knees on Sanctus scale and went out to the world to declare the gospel of the grace of God. He drove back the darkness of the dark ages when he did that. So that the emphasis actually was not on the soon coming of Christ. And the idea today that all of the schools of prophecy, and it's been true that the premillennialists, the amillennialists, the postmillennialists have all quoted Martin Luther and the Reformers. And I think very candidly all of them are wrong. I do not think that you have any development of prophecy beyond what the early church did and until this century. It's been in this century that there's been tremendous development in prophecy. And I very frankly feel that probably the Bible Institutes were the beginning of this, and then two or three of our seminaries today that have emphasized the premillennial position and have taken the premillennial position, and they have forced the others to study prophecy. Now, actually, amillennialism was just a group of the postmillennialists forced into the position of having to study prophecy. And they came up with amillennialism, and of course, they have been great at quoting the fathers. That is certainly the post-apostolic period. And it's in that period that they dwell a great deal. They say Augustine said this, and Augustine did say it. No question about it. He was attempting to build a church here upon this earth. That is, build a kingdom here. And the church would just bring it in. That led to post-millennialism. That was, of course, a false position. But I don't think you could blame Augustine altogether for that because, again, in his period, they were not attempting to develop prophecy. The person of Christ was the great subject at that time, as salvation was later on, than the work of the Spirit and you and I are living in that day. So I think the very fact that we have only one reference here, and Paul is dealing with the gospel here and the Christian life. And that's primary in this epistle. And I think that we ought to always note what the priorities are in any book of the Bible especially, and the priorities that were in existence in any particular period, if you're going to quote somebody from that period. Because you can certainly misinterpret and misunderstand them. And I feel like all schools today have made that mistake. They try to go back and quote the fathers. Well, let's read what Paul said, and Peter said, and James said, and Dr. Luke said, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John said. These are the authorities, not the church fathers. They, in their day, did a tremendous work, but in an altogether different area. Now, I make that statement just to pass by this, because the hope of righteousness is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think the reason Paul says this here is that you and I are not going to reach perfection down here. And the greatest imperfection that I can think of today is to think that you've reached perfection. Because believe me, those are the people that generally are very imperfect, like the rest of us. 
Only thing is, they don't see it. Now, we move on here, and in verse 6, "...for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love." Now, no legal apparatus will produce a Christian life. The formula is given right here. It's a simple simile. So simple that it passes by the theologian. Faith which worketh by love. That's it. That's the formula that's given to us here. Now, he is going to give us, as we advance here, the modus operandi. But let's keep before us here that it's a very simple formula. Faith which worketh by love. That is the way to live the Christian life. And it's faith will work by love, you see. And love will be the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And he says, verse 7, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? What he's saying here is this. He's rather, I think, chiding the Galatians. He's more or less giving them a gentle rebuke. He says, you were doing excellently as living by faith until the Judaizers came along, and now you've fallen on your nose again. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? And obey the truth is the truth of the gospel, of course, and the Lord Jesus Christ in person. Now, verse 8, this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you, in other words, this is not something that comes from Christ. This comes from another source. And then he says, verse 9, "...a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump." And as we have here, it's very clear that leaven is a principle of evil. And let me add to that, that as far as I know, that all the way through the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, that leaven is always a principle of evil. It was given that way. And when it says a woman took three measures of meal and hid leaven in it, my friend, the leaven is not the gospel. It may be the kind of a gospel that's passing abroad today as legal tender, but that's evil. In fact, Paul says that's no gospel at all. And the thing is that leaven is a principle of evil. The Lord Jesus warned his apostles of the leaven of the Pharisees. And I think we need to be warned today of the leaven today of legalism. And it is an awful thing, I believe. Actually, that's what it means to call Christ a curse, is to say that when he died on the cross for me 1,900 years ago, he didn't give me a full package of salvation, that I have to go to the Holy Spirit to get something else, and I'll have to have an experience and seek something to get the rest of it. My friend, I got it all in Christ. Now, I may have experiences after that, but they'll always have to come back to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that has wrought out our salvation. And Paul warns of this kind of leaven that is an evil thing. And the Lord Jesus said that the woman would take leaven and hide it in the gospel. And I believe that's what's happened today, that we have a leavened gospel. And that means the bread or the dough is the word of God and the gospel. And into that has been hidden leaven. And it makes bread palatable. I was brought up in the South. I never knew there was but one kind of biscuit, and that was a hot biscuit. And I never ate a cold one. 
my mother used to bake every day. I can even now see those biscuits on the back of the stove and the dough, and she's letting them rise. And when they got a certain height, she stuck them in the oven. They had leaven in them. And my, I tell you, put butter in them and a little honey on them, and there's just nothing any better than that. That's still the best dessert I know anything about today. You see, there's a lot of leaven being put in the gospel today to make it palatable to people because a natural man, he likes the leavened bread. It tastes good to us. And the gospel has to be a little leavened today to make it palatable. And we're warned not to do that. Now he says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he is. Now, Paul here believed that the Galatians would ultimately reject, I think, the teaching of the Judaizers. He says, I have confidence in you that when you get your feet back down on the ground and your head out of the clouds and you begin to go back to the gospel that was preached to you, you'll see that this is an intrusion, that this is leaven that's been put in. Verse 11, and he says, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Now, this is, I believe, a very important thing to note here. He says, if I preach circumcision, why am I persecuted? You see, the preaching of something to add to the gospel makes it acceptable. The gospel by itself is not acceptable to the natural man. I've had any number of people that have told me, and I think that's been the value of radio, that you can tune me out right now. Any of you can just turn the button and you're through with me. I know that. I recognize that. But I'm not trimming the message down because I know something else, that there are a lot of people that will say, well, wait a minute, I can tune him out anytime. And I don't like what he's saying, that I can't work at my salvation, that he's saying my religion doesn't do me any good. And I'd like to punch him in the nose. Now, I have a man, I played golf with him some. He's a great big fella. And he belonged to a religion. And he said that when I began to listen to you, he said, if I could have got to you, he said, I would have punched you in the nose. You kept telling me I was a sinner and I was as religious as I could be. And I was in church practically every day. And I said to him, why didn't you just tune me out? And you'd been through it. He said, I just want to see what you're going to say next. Does it all sound crazy to me? Well, keep listening, friend. Maybe the Spirit of God will do what he did for that fellow. It'll make Jesus Christ real to you. And when he becomes real to you, as he did to this man, and he came to the Lord Jesus and he had a wonderful conversion, I say to you today that preaching the gospel does antagonize people. And Paul says, if I'm including something in the gospel, why am I being persecuted? And then he says, the offense of the cross sees. Now, what is the offense of the cross? Well, the offense of the cross is not an intellectual offense, although it is that to some. And it's not an aesthetic offense, although it is that to some people. The thing that he says here is, the offense of the cross is that it makes you and me a beggar. And we have to come to the front door of heaven and accept a handout. And that's the only way you will ever get saved, my brother. I had to come like that. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. And when you come like that, you're a beggar. You're bankrupt. You haven't anything to offer God for your salvation. 
And when you come like that to him, you can be saved, friends. That's the offense of the cross. Now, I had a professor in seminary that said a very wise thing. He said, young gentlemen, do not tone the gospel down. Do not change it. Because there is the offense of the cross that today you need to recognize. But he says, don't magnify the offense. Now, I think sometimes the way we give it out, we may become offensive. And when we do that, may God forgive us for that. Because I'm sure most of us who attempt to declare the gospel do not want to be offensive personally. We'd like very much for the gospel to be that which is offensive. I said to a man that was on my staff at one time, he antagonized a family and caused them to leave the church. And I told him, I said, now look, I'm the one here to antagonize people. You are not to antagonize them. And I said that I want to be very careful and make sure that I'm not personally the one that antagonizes them, but that the gospel I preach, if anything antagonizes them, Let that be the thing that antagonizes people. Not you, not me, actually, but the gospel. I think that is what Paul is saying here. Now he goes on to say, I would that they were even cut off which trouble you. I wish these Judaizers were removed from you. Verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. That's something to remember. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh but by love serve one another. Now we have given to us here something that I think is very important. There are three methods of trying to live the Christian life. Two of these methods will not work. One is a life of legalism, as he's been talking about that. That won't work. And the other is the life of license. Paul discussed that in Romans. Now that we are saved by grace, does that mean that we can continue in sin? And Paul gives the answer, God forbid, you can't live in sin, be a Christian. Now you may fall into sin, but you're going to get out. The prodigal son can get in the pig pen, but he never lived in the pig pen. That was not his forwarding address. He left it. And therefore, the Christian life is not a life of legalism, and it's not a life of license. What is it? Well, he's discussing it here. It's a life of liberty. Now, Paul will give in the remainder of this chapter the modus operandi of living by liberty. The life of legalism not only includes the Ten Commandments, but a set of regulations that Bible believers follow today. They tell you where you can go, where you can't go. They tell you what you can do and what you cannot do. I remember we had a very wonderful woman who was a Bible teacher in Texas, she came to our town, did a wonderful work teaching the Bible. The dear little saint came up to me one day. She says, do you think she's really a Christian? She uses makeup. Well, who in the world ever said that is a test? And I said, well, that woman, I think, is living under liberty. And she may be using a little too much makeup. But I said, when you get her age, you probably, you know, spread it on a little thicker than you do before. Now, I said, candidly, I don't think it helps her too much, but she has liberty in Christ. Whether you eat meat or don't eat meat, I won't commend you to God. Whether you use makeup or don't use it. And some women do look a little better with it, by the way. And some of them look a little worse for using too much of it. But I'm no authority on that. Now, that's not my business to tell people that. I never would preach on that. Now, notice what he says. 
they can keep all these things, Paul is saying, and still not live the Christian life. Did you know that you could keep every commandment and you could follow all that the fundamentalists put out for us to live today and you still wouldn't be living the Christian life? We're going to see what that is before we finish with this chapter. There are the antinomians who think they can do as they please and live the Christian life. These are extreme as the legalists. And the Christian life's not either one. It's liberty in Christ. Now, well, you listen to it here as he's going to reduce it to a simple statement. Then he'll amplify what he means. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. Now, how are we going to get that in our lives, this matter of love? He'll discuss that next time, of course. We'll get down that far next time. In fact, we'll finish the chapter. But we're now in a very important section. By love, serve one another. Now he says, verse 14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The one word, of course, is love. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And here is a verse, verse 15. I've always wanted to preach a sermon on this text. I never did get the sermon up, never did preach it. Probably never will. But I've got a title for it. Listen to the verse first. Here's the text. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And my subject would be Christian cannibals. Eat and devour and bite one another. And you know that's what happened in many churches today. You can get bitten there, by the way, and the bite is as bad as a mad dog. And there's nothing you can take. You can't take any kind of serum for rabies. You just have to suffer under it because there are a lot of mad dogs today. They'll bite you and they'll devour you. And unfortunately, the world is passed by the church today. And I'm sorry it has. We have many fine people in our churches and there's some wonderful preachers throughout this country. But did you know that the life of some Christians are keeping the world outside from attending certain churches. I happen to know that. Why, I happen to know men that have been turned away from the church by the life of those in it. What are they doing? Why, they don't love one another. They bite and devour one another. And I tell you, it's a terrible thing. Now, Paul is going to contrast what it is to live in the desires of the flesh or to walk in the Spirit. And now here is his injunction, and this whole section here will give us the modus operandi. Listen to him in verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Two things need to be said here. One is to walk in the Spirit. The Greek word is peripateo, which was the name of a school of philosophy in Athens. It's where the founder walked up and down. It hadn't anything to do with his philosophy, but he just walked up and down. Now, this is the word. The principle is to walk in the Spirit. Now, he'll amplify that. Ye shall not fulfill, not lust in a bad sense. Actually, it just means the desires of the flesh. Now, there are a lot of desires of the flesh that are actually not lustful in that sense, and they're not sinful in that sense. Going to opera and loving opera, nothing wrong in it but it can be a desire of the flesh. Now, a lot of Christians are living today to do nothing in the world but satisfy the desires of the flesh. 
Now, they've attempted to improve their desire, but they have no love for the Word of God. They have no love really for the gospel. They have no real love for walking in the Spirit. We're going to see next time what it means to walk in the Spirit. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. It's going to be a great message, so be sure to join us. And why not invite a friend to hop aboard the Bible bus with you? They can listen online anytime on our app or by finding a local listing of a radio station that carries through the Bible. You can always go to ttb.org to find that listing. Also, to prepare our hearts and minds for what we're going to study next, let's read ahead through Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. And if you want to join us in reading ahead before each study, always a good idea, by the way, visit ttb.org forward slash bookmark to download your copy of our free bookmark that outlines the schedule. Or if you prefer to receive the bookmark by mail, join the mailing list by calling us at 1-800-65-BIBLE, and we'll include it with our monthly ministry newsletter. I'm Steve Sweats, and I'll meet you back here next time as we continue to make our way through the Bible. Our study today was made possible through your prayer and financial support. We'll meet you back here next time. In fact, we're going to do this together, Lord willing, till Jesus comes again. In which case, we'll meet you in the air.